You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Amen. like that song, and I'm thankful that Jesus Christ, it wasn't a, a, just kind of a one-off thing where he was born, we celebrated, then he went off the scene. He's still alive. And uh, we talked in Sunday school about the hymn, there, uh, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day, and the turning point in the writer and the, the author's mind was when he came to realize that his tribulations, although they were real, um, God's not dead. He's still alive. And in the end, it, he works it all out for his glory, and I'm grateful for that truth and thank you for that song today. Some dates live on in your mind, don't they? And you've got personal dates that mean something to you. You've got uh, birthdays and, and anniversaries and something that would be significant to you that may not seem all that important to someone else. Maybe some, some kind of significant family events. Um, husbands probably, there have been some dates we, we probably should have remembered at times um, that we should have, but we didn't. There's some national dates that, are, that come to mind that we, that we point back to as being important nationally, maybe uh, July 4th, 1776, or, or December 7th, 1941, Pearl Harbor, or September 11th, 2001. National dates, things that when you say that date, just about everybody remembers and they, knows, they know what you're talking about. There are also other maybe random dates that might be memorable for you that don't really matter to anybody else, maybe the date you got your first car or the date that you took your, your future wife on the first date. Um, a big win for your favorite team. I'm not saying that's as important as the date date, but for guys, that can be pretty important. And actually, I'm going to use a sports date today that, that probably will mean nothing to anybody in this room, but it's Friday. It was Friday, November 18th, 2011. And I don't expect even anybody to know what this means, but... If I was to mention that date in Stillwater, Oklahoma, I guarantee very many people would remember it. You see, we lived in Stillwater, Oklahoma for a number of years, and at that time, on November 18, 2011, Oklahoma State University, the Cowboys, their football team was ranked second in the country. And they, it was their best team they'd probably ever had. They were playing a game in Ames, Iowa, against Iowa State, and, and uh, if you're in the Big 12, a Big 12 football fan like I am, then you know anytime you go to Ames, uh, you could lose. It, no matter what kind of team they're fielding up there, they're tough to beat. They were, and so OSU, the Cowboys, they were undefeated. They were a sizable favorite that day, and they were going against the 5-4 and four Cyclones. And so undefeated, 9-0, and 5-4 and four Cyclones, even though you're playing in Ames, you think, well, this is an easy win. We walk in, we, w- we win going away, we walk out, we're still undefeated. Well, OSU was up by 17 points just after halftime, and uh, it looked like that's what was going to happen. It looked like the wheels were about to come off for Iowa State, and OSU was going to pull away. But actually, the opposite happened. The wheels came, out, came off not for Iowa State, but for the Cowboys. Up 17, about three minutes into the third quarter, then everything started falling apart. And the Iowa State Cyclones scored 17 straight points to tie the game toward the end of the game. Well, OSU thought they caught a break with, with about three minutes left to play. 
The Cowboys intercepted a pass from Iowa State on Iowa State's own 25-yard line. And so if you know anything about football, then you know you're already well within field goal range, and all you have to do is just maintain possession of the ball, get a little closer if you can, but otherwise you're in very good shape to win the game. So they, they, they ran the clock down to about a minute left in the game, just over a minute left, and uh, they came down to fourth down, and all they had to do was kick a 37-yard field goal. Now, if you remember that team in 2011, and again, probably the best team the Cowboys ever had, um, they had a kicker named Quinn Sharp, and Quinn Sharp was, was a good kicker, very good kicker. In his career, he made over 85% of his kicks, so he was almost automatic, and especially from this range of about 37 yards. So they line up to kick, to kick the field goal. The game is probably theirs to have, but unfortunately in this game, Quinn Sharp was not quite as sharp as he normally is, and he missed that field goal wide right, barely wide right. Some OSU fans still say to this day that he made the field goal. So in double, so the game went into overtime. First overtime, after the first overtime, they're still tied. Uh, I think they may have, might have kicked field goals. In second overtime, OSU did not score. Iowa State gets the ball, and they score a touchdown to win the game. It turned out to be the only loss for the Cowboys that year. They finished, I think, 12-1 and after their bowl game. But if they had won that game, they would have been undefeated. They would have been the only undefeated team in the country that year. They would have played for a national championship. And very likely, based on the team they had, they had a great chance to win it. So when I say the date, November 18th, 2011, OSU fans everywhere cringe. They remember the date. And mo most fans remember about that day they, missed the, they, they remember the missed field goal. It had historic implications for the country or for the program. And it, it's, well, you know, what's, what's not fair is most people remember the one field goal that Quinn Sharp missed more than they remember in his career the other 49 that he made. And sometimes it's the one you miss that hurts the most. I mean, even if you've made a lot, even if you've done well in one area, you've made a lot of others and, and you've succeeded and you've been consistent. Sometimes you're remembered for what you missed for the many times that you got something right. History is full of missed opportunities. In 1876, Alexander Graham Bell, Bell had this uh, device that he could speak into called the telephone. And he, he took it, uh, you wanted to commercialize it and sell it, and he offered the patent to Western Union for $100,000, and he told them he wanted to install telephones in every city in the country, and they said no because the device, they said, was idiotic. One of Kodak's, in the, the mid-70s, one of Kodak's own employees came up with this idea for a digital camera. He actually made one, a digital camera. And but rather than invest in it, they decided to kill the idea because it was, it was a threat to traditional film, and it almost killed the company. Because we all carry digital cameras in our pockets now on our phones. In 1999, there was a country named Excite, and they had an opportunity to buy this company from these two Stanford students called Google. And they were, uh, the, the, the uh, two students told uh, Excite they would sell the company Google for $750,000. 
Excite turned it down because the price tag was too high. Two years later, Excite went bankrupt. And 20 years later, Google's worth $110 billion. There have been some big misses in history. Whether it's a football game, whether it's business, you've probably missed a few opportunities that you wish you could have back too. But there's never been a bigger miss than on the night Christ was born. There's never been a time that you look back on and you say, I can't believe they missed it. Just about everybody missed it. And instead of being remembered for all the things that the people there in Bethlehem might have done right in their life, they will always and only be remembered for what they missed that night. See, the birth of Christ was not just a blip on the radar. This is a huge event in history. It's significant. History even tells us that the birth of Christ was significant. Christ's birth date is literally the dividing point of world history. I mean, before he was born, it's labeled B.C. After he was born in the year 2019 A.D., Anno Domini, Latin for the year of our Lord. His birth, his birth event, the date of his birth, is the defining point in our, in our world history. His birth isn't just significant to his people. It's significant to everybody. The birth, the life, the ministry, the death, the resurrection of Christ are turning points in the history of mankind. And, and there are increasingly numbers of people that don't know about Jesus Christ. But I would say he's probably the most significant individual in the history of the world. Not even just speaking from a Christian perspective. He's significant to history, yet on that night he was unknown to all but a few. His birth uh, was significant to prophecy. We could go back, and I'm not going to do it tonight, but Jesus Christ himself said that out of... Uh, he pointed out in Luke 24, he said, in beginning at Moses and all the prophets, it says he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So here he is literally standing there teaching them. He's taking them back to verses like Genesis 3 that were the first prophecy of the seed of the woman being born, and, and, and that was a prophecy of Jesus Christ being born to redeem mankind. He, he probably went to Genesis 12, where he's talking, where God calls out Abram and said, out of your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. He was talking about Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is sitting there reading things written about himself, written th thousands of years before he ever was born. He, he probably took them to Genesis, Genesis 49 and was talking about the tribe of Judah, how, how the Redeemer would come out of the tribe of Judah. He might have taken them to Isaiah, where it talks about how he would come from the family of David, the son of Jesse. He, he, he probably took him to Isaiah 7 and said that, that he would be born of a virgin, which he was that night. He didn't have an earthly father. Heavenly, the heavenly father was his father. Uh, he probably took them to Daniel 9 and told them about the time frame of his birth. He probably took them to Micah 5 and told them that he would be born in Bethlehem, which he was born in Bethlehem. I mean, as if history and prophecy aren't enough. I mean, prophecy is mind-blowing. All of the things that line up to point to Jesus Christ, and he fulfilled every single one of them. It's amazing when you think about that. If just one had been right about Christ, we would think, wow, that was a pretty good guess. But multiple dozens of prophecies, hundreds were fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And as if history and prophecy aren't enough to see it, the reason Christ was born, that's significant in and of itself. 
In Matthew 1, 21, it says, And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. The name Jesus means Savior. His purpose for coming was to rescue or deliver mankind. From what? Well, he came to deal with our biggest problem, which is sin. He came to save us from our sins, folks. He was born to die on a cross for the sins of mankind. He wasn't born, as I've already mentioned today, he wasn't just born to give us something to decorate about or something to sing about. He came for a purpose. His purpose at the end of the birth was the cross. He came to die for our sins. The birth of Jesus Christ wasn't a small event. This is a huge event, both in history and in prophecy and also spiritually speaking. But on the night he was born, it was basically missed by everybody. It went unnoticed by all but a few. You know, you read Luke's account here and the verses that pertain particularly to his birth, which I would say were probably verses 4 through 7, it's about 150 words. I mean, something this important, but Luke tells it in four verses. Now, I know uh, there's more that happens with the shepherds and, and all of those things, but the account of Mary and Joseph uh, actually coming to Bethlehem and then Jesus being born, it happens in four verses. Four, five, six, and seven. It's, I, I mean, I don't think Luke is minimizing it. I don't think his point is to downplay it. I just think there's not much more to tell. It's not like there was fanfare. There wasn't a celebration. There wasn't like a drive-through Christmas light ceremony. Or there, it's not like you could go down to Falls Park and, and watch him like, you know, go see Jesus. No, I mean, people missed it. It was unnoticed. It would be like, you know, if you go to a restaurant and you're sitting there eating lunch and you go through the whole meal and, and someone gets up next to you and walks out and you look up as they're walking out and it was the President of the United States. And you had no idea they were sitting in the booth next to you. I mean, that, as big as that would be, this is so much bigger than that. These people in Bethlehem, they had no idea that the defining point in, in, in world history took place right under their noses. Look at verses 4 through 6. It says, And Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, and unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. So uh, Joseph and Mary, they go to Bethlehem from Nazareth. It's about 90 miles um, south of Galilee. Bethlehem is about 90 miles south of Galilee, where they lived. Verse 4 says, they all, Joseph also went up, which from Nazareth means that that the elevation of where they were is about a thousand feet lower than Bethlehem. So they went up to Bethlehem. So I just want you to imagine this is a 90 mile journey uphill for a woman that's about to have a baby, an unexpected mother. She, mother, she deserves a medal. I mean, you, th you talk, about, uh, talk about what she went through. This wasn't just a single day. This was a few days, maybe a week in time that they're traveling on the road. She's about to have a baby. They're going 90 miles, they're going uphill, and they're going to be taxed, of all things. It's not like they're going for some fun event. They're not going for just a family reunion. They're going to register, uh, register or enroll so they can be taxed. Well, that's fun, too. I mean, talk about adding insult to injury. 
You know, this, it's basically a census. This census took place while Mary was great with child. I don't know why she had to make the trip. I'm, maybe, maybe they thought they could be home before the baby. Uh, maybe Joseph was, was afraid he would miss the birth, so he would want her to go along. Either way, she goes into labor while they're in Bethlehem, which doesn't sound ideal. They're not at home. There's no sterile environment. There's no doctors. I'm pretty sure she was out of network for her health insurance. I don't know where that came from, but there's no neonatal care. I mean, the only thing right about this is that 750 years before this, Micah said he'll be born in Bethlehem. Nothing else makes sense. Otherwise, it really does seem all wrong. It seems like, why is this happening? Why are they having to do this? In verse 7, we come to it. It says she brought forth, forth her firstborn son. She delivers her first child. I mean, it's a son. This is a big deal in a family. Your first baby, it's your son. I mean, this should be celebrated. It should be noticed. Your family should be there. Everyone should be happy. But it says she wrapped him in these swaddling clothes and she lays him in a manger. And we hear the word manger and we don't really think about it uh, very much. I know we know what it means, but it literally does mean a feeding trough for animals. So by using this word, we can assume they were in a stable or in a place where animals were. We don't know for sure. I mean, we're speculating some. It could have been in a cave. It could have been a tent. It could have been a barn. None of those words are used, so we don't know. We can only make the assumption about the location based upon the fact that they put the baby in a manger, in a feeding trough. And I know this is how God wanted it to happen. I know this is how he chose for his son to be born. It just doesn't seem right. That God incarnate has to be born in a crude place. That Mary and Joseph had already had to make a tough journey and they couldn't even have a decent place to rest. There's no room. That, that, that no one had pity on this young pregnant girl enough to say, here, you can take my bed. Here, you can take my room. Or here's a clean environment for you to deliver the baby. The only description that we're given of their welcome in Bethlehem is there was no room in the inn. No room. And this significant event, it's historically significant, it's prophetically significant, it's spiritually important, and nobody can make room? I mean, this most significant person that's ever been born was rejected or, or maybe less, maybe more accurately, he was unnoticed. His mother and father, they saw him. Maybe some animals. If there's animals there, there's a feeding trough. Some shepherds. But he basically was unnoticed and alone. And as I read this, I, I couldn't help but think about the end. That word end there at the end of verse 7. What happened there? I mean, I don't know if the, uh, did the hotel lose the reservation? You know, I mean, was it double booked? Bed bugs? I, I mean, I don't know. You ever gone to a hotel and, and you give them your name and they're like, we don't have a reservation for that name tonight. I mean, I've been there before. It's happened to me, and you're thinking, I don't, what am I supposed to do now? I mean, well, we have telephones and cell phones, and we can look up another room. What are they supposed to do? They go, and it says there's no room. We don't know much about the inn, but, you know, I think there was a little bit of a misconception about the inn. By looking at the word, we can draw some conclusions about it. The Greek word for inn is kataluma, and it can mean a guest chamber, a lodging place, or an inn. 
The only other time it's used in the, in the New Testament is Mark 14, when Jesus asks where he and the disciples can eat the Last Supper. And he asks, where is the guest chamber? And in that verse, it's translated guest chamber, which means a large upper room within a private house. So because it's translated guest chamber somewhere else instead of in, then we can assume that it's likely that this inn was the guest room of a relative or acquaintance of Joseph. Now, we don't know that for sure, but that sure seems what is more accurate as a perception. This, is, this could have been his family's home. His family was from Bethlehem. They were going to be taxed. It could be that they went to their own relative's home to find a place to stay, and there was no room there. There's one other instance of the word in in the New Testament, and that's when the, uh, the Good Samaritan in, there in Luke 10 finds the, the, the man who'd been beaten and left for dead. He'd been robbed, and he takes him to an inn to take care of him. But that word is different. That word really is more of a hotel or a motel. It's a place for the reception of strangers. So there are many that believe that Jesus Christ was probably born at the house of relatives, but the use of the word manger means it wasn't in the family room. It means it wasn't in the living room. It wasn't in a guest chamber. Like It wasn't in a, an actual room or guest quarters. So that almost makes it worse. I mean, if some strangers at a hotel say, sorry, we don't have room, we're, we're no vacancy, and they send you away, that's one thing. But if this was his own family's house, his own family didn't have room, for Jesus to be born. And I just want you to envision what's happening here. And then we'll get to the application. Joseph comes to Bethlehem. And he's expecting to stay with a relative. Or a friend. Or an acquaintance. And, but the place where he seeks shelter is full. And if it's an inn. The rooms are full. If it's a relative's house. Their guest chambers are full. Every room is occupied. Remember people had come from all over. At this time of year. For the taxes. To, for the census. So there were probably people everywhere. I doubt there was a room in Bethlehem that wasn't occupied. I mean, it was probably like trying to find a parking spot at the Empire Mall between now and Wednesday. I mean, everything is full. People are everywhere. And if this was a home of a relative, we don't know how well Joseph knew them, but I just want to think about the hosts. I want to put ourselves in the position of the hosts if it's a relative, it's their home, or if it's an innkeeper, we don't know. But they have a house full of guests. Now, the Jewish culture in that day was to be hospitable. So I think under any other circumstance, Joseph and Mary would have been taken care of. But because, and listen, because the hosts are busy with other guests, because the hosts are taking care of meals, and, and they're putting people up, and they're cleaning after people, and, and they're, they're trying to be good hosts, this pregnant girl at the door has to be turned away. And I don't know anything about the hosts, and this is some, pre, uh, some uh, supposition, but they're so pre we do know that they're so preoccupied with their full house, with the guests that are already there, that they miss one of history's great moments. The hosts, these circumstances, it meant they were too preoccupied to notice the birth of Jesus Christ. Talk about a missed opportunity. Talk about missing something important. Joseph and Mary come and knock on the door. You open it. And if you're the host, 
I mean, three or four feet away from you is the Messiah. I mean, inside Mary's womb, but he's there. Standing a few feet away. And they're knocking on the door, and the host opens the door, and Joseph says, uh, hey, it's, it's me, Joe, or whatever, whatever he says. It's Joe, your nephew. And, the, and he said, oh, we didn't realize you all were coming too. Joseph says, uh, you know, uh, Mary is pregnant. Um, she's about to have a baby. I mean, she's been having labor pains this whole trip. And uh, we don't know that she, what she was writing. I mean, you, you, don't, you don't know. I mean, we know it wasn't motorized, but she could have been walking. We don't know for sure. For 90 miles uphill. And Joseph is saying, My, she's about to have a baby. Uh, she's very pregnant. Uh, we just need a place to stay for the senses. Can you give us a place to stay? And on the other side of the door, the host says, well, Joseph, we didn't realize that you were coming too. Every bed in our home is filled. Every corner of the house has somebody in it. Every, every place where you could lay down uh, is a walkway. You can't sleep there. There's literally, Joseph, I'm very sorry, there's literally no room in our guest chamber. We don't have any place for you to stay. And we don't know if it's speculation or not, but, but wherever they ended up, there was a manger, there was a feeding trough. So it could have been something like this. But you know, out back, where the animals are, there's at least a roof. We can clean some things up for you. You can stay there. That's the exchange. What they're saying is, my, our, our, our home is too full. We have too much going on. We don't have room. We don't have room for the baby. We don't have room for your wife. And the, what's, what's sad is the innkeepers probably never knew the opportunity they missed. They probably never knew that inside the womb of, the, of that woman standing right in front of them was the Messiah. The one that would take their sins away someday. The one that would, be, what would die and be buried but would rise again and be elevated back to his father's right hand only to return someday and catch us all away. That one, that's the one inside the womb. You know, and, and I don't blame them. I don't want to be too hard on them. But let's suppose years later, they're looking back and they find out from Mary that the, the, the son they had back in the manger, yeah, that's the Messiah. Jesus himself. You think if they ever found out about that, they probably wish they could have done something different? Don't you think they wish they would have done something different that night? I think so. See, here's the problem, and here's where we get to the application. See, sometimes we can fill our lives up to the point that when important opportunities come knocking, we are too preoccupied to notice. When the important things come, the things that matter the most... You know, I, I'm going to just apply it to this time of year. I've got presents here. And I don't know what's in them. I've been shaking them for a while, um, but I can't tell. My wife hides it. But you know, this time of year, uh, we've got Christmas activities to go to. And we've got people coming over. And we've got people to host. And we've got to get food ready. And we've got to get the house ready. And we've got to decorate. And we've got things to do. We've got all kinds of stuff that we start to kind of add to our plate. You know, I didn't realize this, but the street we live on 
is part of the Limo Christmas Lights tour here in Sioux Falls. And I was reading in the newspaper just this week, they were recommending streets to go down. And there it was, Pinstamon Avenue. And I was like, if I had known that was the expectation, I would not have bought a house there. I mean, are you telling me I have to decorate my house now? We have like a little Charlie Brown Christmas tree on our front porch with some lights on it. That's it. I mean, life can get, you can start to get preoccupied with that stuff. You got activities, you got people coming over. How many are hosting people at your home this year? Just raise your hand. How many are going to somebody else's house this year, okay? How many are you going down to the buffet because you don't want to deal with it all? Yeah, some? But, you know, we start piling on all of these things. We've got activities and we've got parties to go to and we've got recitals to go to and we've got all of this stuff that we're just starting to add up. I mean, you get the idea. You're getting the picture. Present after present after, as you can tell, we're not very creative in our gift wrapping at home. Why put a bow on it? It's just going to get torn up anyway. But you know, we start getting our arms full of stuff, don't we? Full. Full of activity, full of of events, full of, of appointments. Our schedule gets full, activities and parties. And we've got gifts to buy. And shopping is most certainly not my favorite thing to do, especially this time of year. I hope you're about done with all of that. But, you know, you want to find the right gift for everybody. And, and there's this expectation that every child has to have the same number of gifts or it will hurt their self-worth in the long run. And you've got to spend the same. You know, what I, you know what I'm saying? You've got all these things and expectations and life gets busy. And we start to get our arms full. Our lives are so full. And, and we look around the house and we look around the room. Or maybe I could call it the guest chambers of our hearts. And there's no room for anything else. And what, what happens is we get so wrapped up or preoccupied with the trivial that we miss the valuable. We get so preoccupied, and I'm not just going to paint this with a broad brush and think that everything I've mentioned is meaningless, but I think you'll understand what I mean. We get preoccupied with the meaningless, and we miss what matters. We lose sight of the truth, and we focus on the trivial. And this time of year, I think, this is a picture of a lot of, of God's people's lives. In their hearts, every guest chamber is full of stuff. Every guest chamber, there's no room in it. We're busy, we're full, we've got schedules to keep, we've got everything going, and we're busy. And yet, Jesus Christ, he's waiting right outside the door. And just like in Luke 2, we, get, we fail to fully understand the significance of the person, Jesus Christ. We're busy with deadlines all the time, not just at Christmas time. We're busy with deadlines, and we've got errands to run, and we've got schedules to keep, and we've got activities to be at. We've, we're, we're just busy. Life is busy. And all the while, though, I think it's a reflection of many of God's people's hearts. Jesus Christ is right outside the door. You know, he's always been outside the door. You know, he's always been wanting fellowship. He's always been pursuing fellowship. He's always been pursuing a relationship. In Revelation 3, he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. He wants a relationship with you. He wants to walk with you. He wants you to know him. He wants to know you. He wants to be close to you. He wants a relationship of fellowship. But our lives are too full. 
and all the other things that are meaningless and less important, we trade Jesus Christ for the things that fill our arms. We're so preoccupied with the trivial that we miss the valuable. We're so preoccupied with the meaningless that we miss what matters. And you know what? It can happen in just about any setting. I'm thinking today about husbands and wives. Husbands and wives, it's easy to drift because you have your own to-do lists. And I, I think a lot of, a lot of people that well-meaning husbands and wives, it's almost like they're living two separate lives. You're doing your thing, she's doing her thing. We're, we're almost like if you've ever tried water skiing the very first time and you think, oh yeah, I can stand up, this won't be hard. And then pretty soon your face is in the water and you're being dragged. That's life, isn't it? Sometimes it seems like life is living you. And you're not, you don't have any control over the situation. You're just being dragged along. We're so busy. And husbands and wives, it happens all the time where she's busy, he's busy. We're doing our own thing, working. We're doing all of these other activities. And yet we drift apart because we chase the trivial and we lose what's valuable. That relationship. I think about parents with children. You know, those early years are so important in forming their character, in forming their discipline, not to mention they are moments you cannot get back. It can feel, when they're young, it feels like every moment's an eternity sometimes. And it feels like, well, I've got all kinds of time, I've got eternity with this little one, and then before you realize it, and my kids aren't even grown and out of the house yet, but before you realize it, I mean, I have a senior in high school, I've got three teenage girls in my home, and I'm looking back now, and what seemed like so long, the days are long, but the years are brief. And I look back now, and these three teenage girls, I've got far less time with them left than I've had already. And I look back and I think about all the times I was looking at my phone. And I should have been looking in their faces. And all the times I should have probably turned the television off. And read the Bible to them. And I look back at all the things that that I could have done with them that I have regrets about. And I think, listen, I might have missed what matters in exchange for the trivial things. The extra hours I might have put in or the extra projects I took, took on or the things that were weighing on my mind or on my heart when I had their attention and I let what was bothering me or what was, what was next uh, distract me from having a conversation they probably needed in the moment. We're so full. My guest chamber have been so full at times that I traded the, what's valuable for the trivial It applies to serving others, too. I mean, I wonder how many times I've gone to Walmart like this. I've got all these things I've got to take care of. I've got to go pick this up. I've got a list of a few things that Erin gave me. Uh, Not that I do that without calling her a few times. Where is this? Okay, help me here. But I've got to go pick up a, a loaf of bread. And I wonder how many times I've gone with my arms full. I'm so busy, and yet there's somebody that the Lord was maybe prompting me to invite to church, or to talk to you about Jesus Christ. But because my arms were so full, my heart was so full, I didn't stop and say anything. And I missed an opportunity. It can happen here at church too, folks. We walk around because we teach, or, or we've got to sing, or we've got to get to the choir. 
We've got all kinds of things we've got to do. We've got to drop the kids off. And I mean, I'm working the nursery today. I'm back here. And we're walking around with arms so full. And somebody needs a minute. But we miss a minute because we're just kind of wrapped up. But all things, our hearts are full. We don't have room for anything else. And we are so good at trading the, what matters for the trivial things. The most important application today is salvation. You talk about being too preoccupied. This is the one, if you miss this one, it's big. It's huge. See, Jesus Christ came to earth. He was born to die on a cross so that you could have eternal life. And all you have to do is admit that you're a sinner and believe that he died on the cross for your sin and then by faith accept him as the only payment for your sin, your only hope to go to heaven and have eternal life. That's all it is. And yet countless people have heard that message and they've heard that message that even though that's all that he requires of us, but so many are so full of the peripherals that they won't stop to just receive him as their savior. And they're thinking, well, you know, I'm too busy to do it right now. I'll do it, I'll do it when I'm less busy. Or I'll do it later when I'm ready. You know, hearts are full. Life is full. Or maybe there are some, and they're upset about a past experience in church. They're expe- upset about something that happened to them. And, you know, I've heard it. The church is full of hypocrites. You hear that all the time. Listen, that has nothing to do with the fact that you are a sinner before God and if your sin is not dealt with and you die without Jesus Christ, you will spend eternity separated from him forever. All the stuff you're carrying, whatever's filling your, the guest chambers of your heart today, it's not, I mean, it's worth a house cleaning if that means Jesus Christ can take up residence. It's your only hope to spend eternity in heaven with God. It's your only hope to have that sin dealt with. Jesus Christ in his payment on the cross. Don't be so full of the trivial that you miss that truth. Sometimes it's the opportunities you miss that everyone remembers that hurts the most. See, what's ironic is two months after he missed the field goal against Iowa State, there's Quinn Sharp lining up in the Fiesta Bowl against Stanford. Quinn Sharp, in overtime, lines up, kicks the field goal at the last minute, wins the Fiesta Bowl for Oklahoma State University. Everyone cheers and gets happy, but you know what everyone's still talking about? They're not talking about the date of the Fiesta Bowl. They're talking about on November, um, eight, November 18, 2011, a Friday night in Ames, Iowa, that, that he missed. And I would hate to look back on my life and be remembered more for the things I missed than the things that I actually got right. And I would guess, you know, you you can't go back and undo a missed opportunity, but you can change your mindset if you'll learn from the misses. See, ask the Lord to help you not to be indifferent or preoccupied with the meaningless and miss what matters this season. Live according to Matthew 6. We read it last week. But seek you first the kingdom of God. And his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. If we make the important things our priority. We can meet the needs of others. And more importantly please God. Who is a faithful rewarder. Of them that diligently seek him. So what are you missing right now? Say well I just have. I've really 
I've missed the kick when it comes to my time with my, with my wife. Man, it's easy. Put the phone down, take a day off work, turn the TV off when you get home, and, and take some time. You say, as a parent, I've been missing the kick when it comes to my children. I haven't been spending the time, the focus time that I should have. Uh, you think it lasts forever, and it'll be gone just like that. Don't miss it when it matters, because it matters the most right now, mom and dad. You say, well, I'll get involved in church later. And listen, there are places that, that we need somebody to serve in, or there are people that need to be reached. And you're missing the kick because you're so busy with all the other stuff. It's time to put the trivial down and embrace the valuable. Otherwise, you're going to look back like Quinn Sharp and you say, but look at all the ones I made. Yeah, but the one you missed was so big. Don't miss the kick this Christmas. Focus on why it's as important as it is. It's about Jesus. And yet some of us, after the week is done, we will have left Jesus out in the cold. Just still knocking on the door. Apply this all the time, though. People matter to God. Stop and take time. Determine the things that are most important and focus there. You'll be less likely to miss it when it matters. Let's stand together. Every head bowed, every eye closed. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.